Exceeding Expectations, episode 47. Welcome to the podcast where we try to give you ideas on ways you can go above and beyond what your customer was expecting. You can hear some of the guests talk about ways that they've exceeded what their client was expecting and maybe you can tweak it in some way to make it work for you and by adopting this mindset it makes it a much more enjoyable way to do business but there are a number of benefits. You tend to get much better reviews. The way people write the testimonials for you are better. You get more recommendations, referrals, and rebookings. And it's just a, a better way of doing business. And you have happier customers as well. Uh, please do leave a review for us on places such as iTunes. If you've got any guests that you would like to be uh, heard, like to hear being interviewed on this podcast, then do let me know. You can ju- drop us a line in the Facebook group, which is called Exceeding Expectations. And now for this week's episode with Bill Baldez. Exceeding Expectations, my guest this week is Bill Baldez. How are you doing, Bill? I am great. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. And you were just telling me you're down in Columbus, Ohio. That's correct. You're in the right in the heartland of the Midwest uh, in the U.S. and very happy to be talking to you uh, across the ocean there. And is that where you're from, Bill? I, I spent my whole life in Ohio, so I've, I've lived in various parts of Ohio. But I've, Columbus has been my home for about 21 years, so so I consider it home at this point. And and for those listeners who aren't familiar with Columbus, is is it known for anything in particular? Sure. Columbus, there, there's a few things here. One, anyone that uh, cares about American football, we probably about the most dedicated uh, group of college uh, football fans. The Ohio State Buckeyes is really defines us. Um, we have one of the universe, okay. largest universities in America. Uh, Ohio State University, I think, is the second largest by enrollment. Uh, so there's that. We have, we have several Fortune 500 companies here. So it's a, you know, it's a center of a lot of... Uh, large corporations because we're, we're kind of smack in the middle of the U.S., so logistics. Uh, they, there's some mm. crazy statistic. We're, we're a day's drive, I think, from half of the U.S. population. So kind of everyone except Texas and California, most made, we're close to Chicago, close to New York, close to D.C., Philadelphia, Boston. So we're known as a um, kind of the, the, the center a little bit of the United States, so there tends to be a lot of uh, corporate companies. And the last thing is we're known as Test City, USA, uh, because our population – is a microcosm of the population of the United States. So by age and race and gender and income, we basically are the same proportions of uh, the rest of America. So when a a company introduces a new product, new fashion, new food, they test market in Columbus first uh, to see how the reception Mm -hmm. is. And and politicians spend a lot of times here. Columbus, uh, Ohio often sways the presidential election and the other two large cities in Columbus, one's very Democratic, one's very Republican. Columbus is a mix. So Columbus also uh, gets a lot of attention during presidential cycles. Sounds like a place I need to, to visit on my next, my next trip to the States, whenever that may be. <laughs> and, and so you, you mentioned about some Fortune 500 companies and so on. So you, your company, um, I've got to remember how to pronounce it now, Futurity. Right on. Right. And so what, t- tell us, what, what is it exactly that you do? Sure. Great. So Futurity, you know, we see an opportunity for the role that data can play in people's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, So our core promise is we work with organizations to take their data and then predict how their customers are likely to behave and Mm -hmm. communicate with their customers at or even before the time of need. 
Mm-hmm. So the, the, a tangible example, if you've ever seen an ad on Facebook and you think, how does Facebook know I was thinking about buying this thing? I didn't search for it. I didn't talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. essentially we're using data to predict how you're likely to behave and start communicating with you before then. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that's really important to us, though, you, you hear data, people get scared and they, they're concerned about privacy. There's two things I like to focus on. One is everything we do is, is, is ethical white hat. We never uh, op- worked with someone who doesn't have their permission. We, we follow the strictest GDPR privacy policies that you can't follow. And two, we have a real focus on using data to solve society's biggest problems. So many mm-hmm. of our clients are working on solving things like malnutrition, food scarcity, scarcity, transportation and mobility, uh, health inequity. So we, we tend to work in industries where we say, what if we could communicate with people and help them get to work uh, more effectively, help them get health care easier, help them connect with resources. So we're not a nonprofit, but we really do have a focus on, on using data to solve uh, society's biggest challenges. Okay. And, and is that come about, do you sort of choose the, the clients you really want to work with or how, how has that come about? Sure. We do have a little bit of a luxury there in the fact that um, there's not a million companies out there that have a team of data scientists. There aren't a lot of unemployed data scientists in the world. So we've done a great job of attracting talent, which gives us you know some flexibility in being really selective with our clients. So we, you know, we do market, we, we have companies that sell fashion and roofing and things that aren't necessarily have a direct social impact. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, all things equal, we really, the clients we seek out are the ones that we identify and say, if we can help this client, we're not just helping them drive revenue and, and create great jobs and, and do good things. We're helping solve some of the issues that we really care about. And when did you set the company up? About two years ago is when we hired our, hired our first employee, um, for about the first, I, I think legally we incorporated in 2014. Um, for about the first three years, it was really me and some grad students. I, I mentioned we have Ohio State University a Stone's Throwaway. So um, I, I had a group of uh, grad students that would come in and help me on projects. But about two years ago, decided there's something pretty exciting here. So uh, hired our first employee and we've been growing by uh, bringing on a team member um, every month or so since then. And I presume, so this was your background already. This is an area you've been involved in for a long time? <laughs> That's what's uh, quite interesting. So um, entrepreneurship and setting up marketing agencies, uh, yes, I love that. I've been an entrepreneur most of my career. I've had multiple businesses in the past. But data mm-hmm. analytics, uh, I'm the guy that took statistics pass-fail in college because I'm. It's, it's an area I'm fascinated by, but I'm terrible at. Uh, okay. So, so essentially, what I did is when starting Futurity, I just I met with a lot of clients. My philosophy on entrepreneurship is that the market's always right, and you talk to mm-hmm. people and say, "What what would you write me a check for today?" And everyone I met with said, "We have a lot of data. Help us drive meaning from it. Help us integrate it." And so I went out and recruited and found the best data talent I could find, um, and we built Futurity. Because uh, I think, I mean, what you just sort of touched upon there, it, it is an area that really confuses a lot of people, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's, it's overwhelming. You know, the reason we don't win deals, if we ever do a pitch and someone doesn't sign with us, is they just, they look at us and say, we're not ready for this. You know, it feels big. You're, you're a bank or you're a hospital and you've got just years and years of data. Some of it's in paper form. Some's in Microsoft Access databases. Some's online in the cloud. Maybe you've grown by acquisition. And so every company you've acquired, every bank or hospital you've acquired over the last 20 years has their own system. And so it feels overwhelming. Uh, the the mm-hmm. analogy I use, it can usually tell if someone's going to work with us. Um, there's, there's 
we have a lot of wildlife here in Columbus. So I'll, I'll start by prefacing that. I call this my dead raccoon theory. But there are services mm-hmm. that will come to your home and they'll inspect your roof and your, and your house and say, you know, you've got spots where wildlife could get into your basement or your attic. And we're going to put up mm-hmm. screens and fences to keep them out. And not a lot of people buy that because yeah. you think, really, I'm not going to get a raccoon or a rabbit or a squirrel in my house. And, and so very few people would say, I'm going to do this proactively. But the second a raccoon crawls mm-hmm. in your attic and dies <laughs> and your house stinks and yeah. you're, you, you think of him up there yeah. and you think he's got rabies, you will pay any amount of money. You will make any phone call to get that. Data is the same way. If I just think I've got a lot of data and I should do something with it, I'm probably not going to call. But if my mm-hmm. data problem is a dead raccoon, if I'm not reaching customers like I should be, if I have duplicate records, if I'm not mm-hmm. in compliance, if, if I talk to someone, I th- see their data problem is putting up fencing around their attic, they're probably not going to buy. If I see they got a dead raccoon, they're going to sign that day. When customers come to you and they, so typically what is it that they come to you for? What, what kind of problems do they normally identify sure, themselves? Sure, I'll, I'll give a few examples. So one, um, I mentioned we really care about mobility and transportation. And in, in our city, uh, we've about 118 new people moving to Columbus every day. And our infrastructure wasn't necessarily ready to be we're, we're almost the size of, uh, of San Francisco by population so we're growing really rapidly here and so you know we're working with some city planners and, and government agencies to say we've our roads our bridges how do we support this population we've got all these jobs coming in how do we make sure we can connect people to jobs and healthcare and, and education using data so that's that, that's kind of a dead raccoon problem we've got people needing to work we got companies wanting to hire and so we can use data to understand what trips are people commonly taking. Where are we missing uh, public transportation options? What are the most common routes that, you know, from what zip code to what zip code? Um, so that's a problem we can solve. Um, in, in healthcare, um, there's a hospital, mm-hmm. a couple of hospital systems we work with. And you often hear the story, probably a lot of your listeners know the story, of the really fit, young, 30-year-old guy. He's out jogging. He has a brain aneurysm and he passes away very suddenly. And what we're looking at is, can we use yeah. data to identify what's the profile of those patients? Who's likely to have a neurology issue that has not been identified? We look at all their, you know, the patients they've served before. And then we look at the population of patients that's undiagnosed with neurology issues and say, let's proactively reach out to them next time they have a physical or next time they're due and suggest they have a neurology screening. Um, so, so those are things, again, we can, you know, literally mm-hmm. when, when the uh, doctor says, you know, how can I use this to save lives or a city planner says, how can I use this to make mm-hmm. sure underemployed people are getting great jobs and access to education and healthcare? Those are the problems we love to solve. So it, it sounds to me like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but this, it sounds like there's a whole load of companies out there who could really do with, you know, the kind of services you're offered and they have no idea of, of what it is that you could do for them. <laughs> That's very true. We, we had a phone call yesterday. We had someone in healthcare uh, who were looking to improve health outcomes across, um, you know, if a, a patient might have a primary care doctor and a behavioral care and orthopedic and, and the, they don't always, that data doesn't always communicate so the patient always doesn't get uh, maybe the level of care that they, they need. Uh, and this company was saying, we knew we had this problem. We didn't know it was solvable. Mm. Uh, so we do hear that a lot where people are, uh, they, they kind of accept a fact of life that the, the, information in my restaurant where I'm selling food and my online ordering and my website and my credit card orders and people that pay cash, I, I, it can't be connected. They often kind of resign themselves to that. Um, and so a lot of times we'll have the discussion and you see their eyes light up because we've solved a problem that's really been weighing on their minds. 
Yeah. So it sounds like you're exceeding expectation just from the initial meeting before you've even done anything. I hope so. You know, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve, so I tend to get pretty impassioned and pretty excited even in the initial meetings. Um, so yeah, we love to even just educating people. So that, that's, that's a great point. We, you know, we, that first meeting, you know, maybe the client think it's going to be another marketing, marketing or IT firm that's going to pitch them. And we come mm-hmm. in talking about the problems we can solve. It's great to see their faces light up. You know, we really have some great deep relationships with our clients. Well, and and I saw you mentioned that um, almost 100% of your uh, clients are from referral. That's correct. Usually once we take care of someone well, they uh, refer others. So, And I would, you know, it sounds kind of um, cliche, but most of them have become friends now too. You know, these are people I would hang out with. We spend a lot of time together. You know, we're solving problems. They're referring us to others. So, yes, and, and almost everyone, I, we have uh, about 100% client retention. So once someone has done one project with us, They'll say, okay, can you use data to help solve issues around diabetes or around malnutrition or helping us sell this product line? So it's, you know, every client we work with uh, tends to want to do more. And then they, you know, they'll, they'll change jobs and they become vice president somewhere else and they'll take us with them. And so, you know, our, our mm. business has grown very organically by those referrals. Mm. And it also sounds like you've got your employees love working for you because I saw something somewhere on your website. People just don't leave your company. Correct. We, we've been recognized as best places to work. Our very first year, we were eligible for the award. We applied. We won that. We won first place. So there were you know dozens and dozens of companies uh, here in Columbus. And our first year out of the gate, um, we were recognized with uh, best places to work in Columbus. Um, super high retention. You know, when we open a job posting, we tend to get lots and lots of applicants because people we have a a reputation of a, as a really exciting place to work. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, I know your listeners are in various parts of the world, but in Columbus, we have almost, almost zero unemployment. I think officially it's three or 4%, which that's, uh, if you take in the people that necessarily aren't looking or uh, whatever it may be. So we have, we have more jobs than we have people here. So when we post an mm-hmm. opening and we get lots of good candidates, it makes me feel really mm-hmm. good and proud because I, I see many companies, I talk to other executives who, you know, they, they can't get a good resume because we have, um, we've got a lot of talent here. We've got so many good jobs that it's, you know, we, we can use a lot more talented people. So I'm, I'm honored when people um, really turn out for jobs here. And, and so was that a strategy of yours to make um, your employees' lives really enjoyable or really fulfilling? Absolutely. I, I have found, so I'm also an investor, so I invest in about 20 or so startups and small businesses. And if I had to say what what's the difference between the ones that are successful and the ones that aren't, it's not the product. I've seen great products fail. I've seen okay products succeed. The business model is important. You got to have a good financial model. It has to work. But the number one thing is the team, and is the team not mm-hmm. only I don't want to. It doesn't have to be a bunch of PhDs from Ivy League schools, but are they good and do they care about each other? And when you have that, mm-hmm. um, you can even have an okay product project and an okay business model and be really successful. Uh, so on our on our wall here, a big mural we have painted with all of our core values on it, and you see it every day when you come in. You see it every day when you're eating lunch. It's just it's reinforced. It's when we hire someone, we walk them along that wall, and we talk about the core values. When we promote someone, when someone's looking for a, a raise or a change in their comp plan, it's based on how they meet those core values. Um, and so you get really like minded people. And, and our office space here, it's mm-hmm. uh, it feels kind of like a home. You know, we have. Uh, we, we don't go over the top with Silicon Valley type features, but there's a kitchen and there's couches and people bring their dogs in. And so it's also a place where we, we have to spend eight or nine or 10 hours a day here. And so it's a place that 
uh, everyone has a best friend at work. Everyone has, you know, kind of a, a roommate. We're in offices that are kind of set up like rooms. And so um, there's a, a very close feel here. And I think people want to be part of that. And if more companies had that attitude towards their employees, there'd be, well, people would be just generally happier in their jobs, wouldn't they? Absolutely. It's, it's interesting. I love our clients and they're, they're wonderful. Um, there are times our team goes to those location on sites and they'll say, you know, I don't, I, it'd be hard for me to see myself in that environment. Uh, hmm. Because they, you know, it's not necessarily everyone excels in a, you know, super structured cubicle environment. And sometimes you have to do that. And there's, there's absolutely a role for those organizations. But our focus mm. is if you really you provide flexible scheduling, you provide an environment where people can have a best friend at work, you provide lots of chances for interaction and personal relationships, um, and everyone's vested. Otherwise, you get a situation where you know people just chase, chase titles and salary and money, and and that's unsustainable because there's always. I tell our team members here every day. I know recruiters calling them and and telling them, "Hey, I can get you a job where you'll make ten percent more money." And every day some outplacement firm calls me and say, hey, you can cut your team and I can save you 10% on payroll. And so we can sit here and look at each other and I'm wondering if they're going to leave for a 10% bump in salary and they're wondering if they're going to get fired to save 10% on payroll. Or we can all say we all really like working together and let's trust each other and let's take care of each other. And all that mental energy that goes to politics and titles and salary goes to doing a great job for our clients and building great relationships with each other. And that's when magic happens. Mm. And so are your clients just in Columbus or are you all over the sure. states? Uh, we're spread out primarily in Ohio. So I would say you know, about 90% of our revenue and clients are based in Ohio. Um, we do have some clients in Chicago, New York. We have one employee in San Diego, California. Uh, so we do have some clients uh, outside of Ohio. But you know, right now, I, I, in my previous agency, uh, we worked with clients all over the world. And I spent a lot of time on train, uh, planes and hotel rooms. And so this time there was a deliberate decision, at least initially, to really build a wall around Ohio, focus on Ohio, make sure if, if anyone's thinking about data in Ohio that we own that first, and then look at really smart growth mm. uh, into other areas. And where do you think that growth will be? Where, where would you like to expand to in the next five, 10 years? We see a lot of opportunity uh, here in the Midwest. So we love Chicago. Um, Chicago is a pretty natural extension, culturally quite similar to Columbus, um, it's a you know forty five minute plane flight, so um, so that's probably the n- most ne- next logical. Um, we also just want to really button down our our presence in Ohio. So we, we've got a really strong presence in Columbus, uh, expanding to Cincinnati and Cleveland uh, makes sense. Um, Boston is a great hub for healthcare. We love healthcare, so uh, Boston's probably on the list. And then I mentioned our our person in San Diego. We're really looking at you know what's the opportunity to establish. Um, an outpost there with additional team members and some space uh, on the West Coast. But, and how do you think that the business that you're in will change in the next five, 10 years? How do you see a data analytics change? Sure. Uh, you know, it's interesting. My Some of the first agency I started was a, a search engine optimization agency, which today is incredibly cliche, but this was in 2006 and, and there weren't a lot of people doing it. So we got in, we got big, we got fast. We had very similar growth trajectory, doubling revenue year over year. Um, and the market got really crowded and commoditized. Um, then I got into more social media marketing, same kind of thing. We got in, we started a social media company um, long before there was an Instagram or a Snapchat. It was the early days of Twitter and YouTube. Owned the market, got really, at least in our geography, did a really great job there. Um, so I've been able to repeat patterns like that in my career. And I feel like we're on the same path with data analytics. We've got 
You know, right now the big five consulting firms do it. Um, there's other agencies that say they do data, but it's a lot of times they're just Google Analytics. They're not truly doing machine learning and AI. And, and so I think we've got a pretty good head start. Uh, what I think will happen is you'll start to see uh, a lot of uh, competition will come in. And I think it'll become more commoditized. Mm-hmm. I think you'll see technology get less expensive. You know, right now, the computing power and the software to do machine learning and, and some of the things we do, um, it's not inexpensive. So I think we'll, we'll see that become uh, less expensive, more commoditized. I think we'll see consolidation. You know, the, the big five, uh, four or five consulting firms are, they're in the space. It's hard to tell how serious they are. They're, they'll probably grow by acquisition. Um, so we expect to see a lot of, of turbulence uh, over the next few years. A lot more competitive, people getting smarter about it. Um, I also don't think it bodes well for uh, agencies that focus just on creative. I, you can never replace the creativity of a human being. Um, but some agencies mm-hmm. that get, you know, maybe a little bit um, overly confident in, uh, you know, just being reliant on creativity without having data, without having measurements, uh, without having uh, mm-hmm. some of those tools in place to really ensure that their client's investment is being spent the right way. You know, if, if I were in a, an agency that was purely creative, I'd be a little worried if I wasn't at least using data to power my creative. Yeah. And what about um, things like sort of SEO and link building and, and stuff like that? Is that still as important now? And would you think that still will yes, be in the next few years? I do years? think so. Um, it's changing drastically. So as long as people use Google, SEO will be a thing. Is, is writing, you know, great uh, meta tags and uh, doing some of the, you know, things as important as it was before? Probably not. You know, I think it's changing. You know, Google's rank brain is essentially an AI tool. It is an AI tool. And it's meant to understand, you know, what Tony searches on and what Bill searches on and what uh, my cousin searches on. We may use the same phrases, but based on our geography, our search history. And remember, Google owns YouTube. So they know what videos we watch. Google owns Google Calendar, Google Chat. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, if I'm putting things on my calendar around a, a vacation to London... And I start doing searches um, around uh, Wells Catfish. You know, Google's going to have a pretty good idea that I'm heading to London or that I'm buying, you know, my wife bought tickets to London. So these, all these things are going to impact my search results uh, versus you who already live in London. And you may see, you may not see the same results. So, yes, all those basic things are still super important. What I would encourage anyone who's in search or digital marketing to think about is your site. But before... No one would say they did this, but a lot of search people did. They, they served their audience and their human members one way, but then they did a lot of stuff on the site just to get Google's attention. Google's gotten smarter. Google's you know AI now behaves much more like a human. And so it's really, you've got to have an authentic brand, an authentic voice. You've got to be designed and built for people. And Google's robot now behaves more and more like a person. Um, and you've got to serve, you've got to serve intent. So it's the, the tricks are over. The black hat stuff is over. The games are over. You've got to have an authentic brand. And as far as um, going back to the, the, the subjects of exceeding expectations, I'm just wondering, what, you know, so we, we talked about before, I said that, you know, when you first meet clients, it's clear that you're giving them information they had no idea was even possible that they could do. But how do you generally, how are you able to exceed their expectations once you start working with people? What is it you're able to do? Sure. It's, it's so exciting. I, we, we actually do our speaking presentations with clients. We've done case studies and white papers and podcasts. So um, they tell the stories better than I do. But a lot of times, you know, they go with this expectation of um, just to see their faces light up. I, I remember when it was a CMO from a large hospital system 
And, you know, she had asked, well, what if I want to know, you know, high income millennials who had a, a dermatology appointment and had a great outcome? How can I see that? And when we go click, 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 and we show it to her and it happens in, in seconds, mm-hmm. you know, the, every jaw in the room dropped. Mm-hmm. And I was like, now I know how I can be serving these patients better. Now I can see what uh, treatment outcomes are most effective. Now I can see. So at, at one point, you know, they, they hire us maybe to make a nice dashboard and show them what stuff looks like. Mm-hmm. But then when we say this now becomes part of your business, this is going to help you improve care and get people to jobs and, and solve issues around malnutrition and public health. You know, that, that's more than just I need a, a dashboard to cut down on my reporting time, right. <laughs> which a lot of times that that's the dead skunk in the attic. People will call us and say, I spend 40 hours a week making this report. Can you automate it? And we say, yep, we'll do that. But the real power is this is going to help you make smart business decisions. Hmm. Um, so that's exciting. On our retail clients, you know, some clients that are, for example, in the uh, restaurant industry, one, one that's a, a national um, restaurant group, about 600 locations. And, you know, when they tell us that after Easter, Thanksgiving, that they've, it's literally exceeding expectations. Here's the goal of the number of meals they were planning to serve. And we've significantly beaten that goal based on using really smart data to power their SEO, their SEM, uh, their, their broadcast, all their marketing messages, their email. Uh, by using data, suddenly they're spending less on SEM, they're spending less on email, they're reaching the right people, and they're, they're beating those numbers. So it's, it's so rewarding to come in. It was the Monday after Easter, and that client said, we went home Friday, we said, here's the goal, and it, it was a big number, and we came in Monday, and we beat that goal. Um, so there was lots of celebrating. So if there's people, I mean, there's, the audience of this show is, you know, covers many different industries from very small to, to, you know, to sort of medium, even large. If there's people listening to this and they're thinking, I wonder if I could use like some sort of data analytic, analytic company, what would you say, and they may be wondering how, how could they help me? What, sure. what sort of things do you think maybe they, they should be thinking about or even how they could be helped? Sure. Yep, absolutely. So at a, at a base level, you know, we have one client that is two people. Um, they probably do a, a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue. And they came to us just for one very specific reason. They were spending a lot of money on Facebook ads and they weren't getting good results. So a pretty mm-hmm. simple problem, you know, pretty simple one to solve. We were able to dig into the data of their current client base, um, their best clients, their repeat clients, their most loyal clients. And then we were able to set up a Facebook campaign that targeted to help them find more clients like their best clients. Um, Mm -hmm. Very simple problem, very specific problem, but to them, very, very important, you know, getting basically driving directly results of driving revenue, marketing spend to revenue Um, all the way up to, again, you know, we have a fortune 500 retailer that uh, is in the uh, nutrition space who wants to effectively understand who's buying their product at Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, online, Amazon, through their own website, who's, writing ratings and reviews and identifying who are their best customers, how do they keep that loyalty going, what couponing is necessary, what discounts are necessary, what messaging, what images drive people to the stores and their, you know, global organization. So if, if, there's, mm. if there's any problem you're trying to solve, you know, I would say of the hundred of people we've spoken with, there's probably been two or three where we've come back and said, we can't, we can't solve that problem. Maybe another agency could, maybe in a few years we'll be able mm. to, but, you know, sometimes there are issues that, uh, we'll be very honest with you about it and say that's that's one we can't crack. Um, but it was great to talk to. <laughs> but in general, mm-hmm. you know, if you're looking at um, getting more buyers, getting more customers, getting more donors, we do a lot of work in nonprofits and advocacy um, to help uh, people reach the right donors. You, 
nonprofits, they, you know, they send out a lot of mail, they do a lot of, of media, but so much of that is going to someone that will never donate. We can help you target your donors. We do a lot in higher ed. We, we probably ran more than a hundred programs for colleges and universities. My son's at that age. He gets a pile of mail every day, direct mail, snail mail. He throws it all away immediately or my, me and my wife do. Uh, but we can help target. Here is a student that will excel at your college or university, not just based on their SAT scores, based on all kinds of factors. And we'll put you in front of them on Instagram or in a text message or on a you know a website they read. And we're going to reach you where they are with a message that they care about. Um, so so you know whether it's students, voters, donors, um, volunteers, you know whatever it is. Generally speaking, uh, whether you're two people or twenty thousand, we can probably help you. You mentioned there about you know Facebook advertising and, and so on, and there's there's a million and one companies claiming to sell that, and you know the results are pretty you know pretty poor sure. in some cases and, and, and amazing in other cases. So what what do you think people should look for when they're looking for someone to do something like that? They're looking to have some Facebook sure. advertising or Google advertising. Sure. What should they look for, and what should they look to avoid? Yeah, as absolutely. Well? What I would say is, you know, you want to look for someone that's really going to be very good at targeting your message. Uh, and that's, you know, your content, your time of day, your images, your text to a highly qualified audience. And if, if they're trying to, you know, promote themselves on those attributes, that they can really do a fine degree of targeting, um, that they're going to be very careful with your investment and, and really focus on your return. Those are the companies I would have conversations with. Um, the two red flags I would look for is anyone that tries to overwhelm you with your creative. You want pretty ads. You want good-looking ads, absolutely. But anyone that tries to sell you on you know, clickbait headlines and really sexy, flashy images, um, those campaigns may get you tons of impressions, maybe even tons of clicks, but they just don't convert. So look for an agency that, um, you know, we jokingly talk about the skinny jeans agencies. If, if there's too many like creatives, not enough data, I would, I would shy away from that. Um, I would also shy away from agencies that have an incentive to spend more of your money. So some do uh, like markup on the media or, um, you know, it's, it's basically driven by there's an incentive for them to spend more and it's tied to their fees. Um, so look for an agency that's maybe either focused on some of your goals around sales conversions um, or have a flatter fee structure or, a, you know, a floor and a ceiling on that fee structure. Um and so I would, I would look at a couple of those things. And references, results, um, you always want to give the new guy a chance, absolutely. But I would also look for who's got a great reputation, great references. Just before we started recording, you, you were telling me an interesting story about um, your daughter and, and <laughs> yes. Sunday school. So exceeding expectations, there, there's a couple stories I love with this. So a few years ago, my little girl was probably six or seven. And, you know, a lot of her friends went to church. So uh, we, we didn't go to church at the time. And we said, let's, let's go find a a local church that we can be a part of. And so, you know, every Sunday we would pick a different one and go to, and we got up nice and early and got all dressed up and we're in the pews at eight 30. And I look at the bulletin and I realize that there's no Sunday school for the eight 30 service. There's one for the 10 o'clock service. And I look around and most of the people there are, I'm in my, you know, I was in my late thirties, early forties at the time. Most of the people there were probably in their seventies and eighties. And I'm like, Oh, I'm in the wrong. I'm in the, the old people service. Uh, and the pastor looked right at me. I didn't know her. I'd never seen her before. And she was going through the announcement. So she said, oh, you know, the ladies quilting club is on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, we're going to be down to the homeless shelter. And on Thursday, you know, the men's golf league meets. Oh, and I have an announcement. And she looked right at me and said, we're going to start offering Sunday school at the 830 service starting today. <laughs> so no words were exchanged. She wow. subtly nodded wow. at someone else in the room, not at that woman. 
And she's like, Aaron is going to take any child here back to Sunday school. And of course, my little girl didn't know this was all done for her. She stood up. She's the only kid in the service. Um, I get up. I go to the mm-hmm. Sunday school room to pick her up. And there's three other little girls with her. And I said, I, I saw what you did there. I really appreciate it. And the woman teaching Sunday school said, yeah, we have a parishioner who lives across the street. So I woke them up and had them bring their little girls over so your little girl would have someone to play with. <laughs> and I just said, you know, I, I immediately wow. went to my work and I'm like, That's have, have we done that for a client lately? Have we had a client come to us and, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the pastor's fault that I came to that service. It was I went to the wrong service. There was, you know, there was no reason for her to do this. So if we had a client come to us where maybe the client made a mistake in quote or the client, the client had expectations that weren't realistic. And then you met them. And I, I, I think about that example a lot of just can we can we go home at night and say we had an example where we made a Sunday school on the fly. And we were at that church. I, there was no question. We've been there every week since then. It's been, I guess, six or seven years ago. And uh, I would never go anywhere else. And that's all down to, to the attitude of that pastor, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, just shows and and it, you know, it wasn't that once I got there, then they started treating us badly. That's mm-hmm. just, that's part of the culture, the DNA of that church. That pastor has actually moved on. And, you know, the, the legacy she set up now, the, it still is embedded there in that mm-hmm. culture that they are very service. You don't think of a church as being customer service driven, but they're very member driven. Mm. And what the, the other story you were telling me about the wine. <laughs> so yes, I, I jokingly told you when I'm not praying, I'm drinking, which is uh, not true. But I, you know, I, I belong to a wine of the month club. Again, they've become really popular over the last few years. So I've been to, belong to this one for years. And you have to be 21 to sign uh, for the, the delivery every month. Mm-hmm. And it showed up one day, and I was at work. My wife was gone, so no one was there to sign. It showed up the next day, and just my kids were there. They couldn't sign. Showed up the third day, no one there. So we get shipped back to the wine company. And I, I, I wasn't mad. I sent them a note. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You tried three times. You got shipped back. Can I, uh, can you reship it? I'll be, I'll pay, I'll pay double for the uh, shipping. I'll make sure someone is here. Uh, they wrote back a really, actually I think they called said, yeah, Hey, sorry, you missed it. This was right around, uh, 4th of July, uh, which, uh, again, probably, uh, <laughs> not as important over, uh, to you over there or has a different connotation, <laughs> but obviously we're getting ready for barbecues and cookouts here. Um, Right before the holiday, two cases of wine showed up. And I was like, oh, I've been double charged. And again, I wasn't upset, but I get online. And there was a note saying, sorry for the mix-up. Enjoy, enjoy this free case on us. Wow. Uh, now, if they had screwed up and sent me white wine when I wanted reds or they'd missed my order, um, I could see maybe then them wanting to mm-hmm. compensate. But it was my mistake. I screwed up. I wasn't home to get mm-hmm. it. And they doubled up on that order. So I had a great 4th of July, needless to say. But I was so impressed where... Uh, I think about that in our business. Is there a case where the client made a mistake? And instead of us sitting down saying like, ah, we tried to do this, but the client didn't get the data to us in time, or the client didn't get their title tags changed, so they can't see results. Can we ship them a free bottle of wine or a free case of wine? What can we do that's the equivalent of saying, hey, this bad thing happened and we're going to make up for it, even though it was in no way our fault. And, and you've probably told that story to so many people. And now other people are using that, that wine company as well, Absolutely. I would imagine. I shared that. I put it on Facebook. I told, you know, a lot of my friends are wine connoisseurs. So I, I, I hope I've generated thousands of dollars of business for them. Mm. And what are your general thoughts on exceeding expectations and, and why or why should people maybe should think about sure. doing that? Absolutely. I, the, you know, we just, we can't think about where the bar is set. We've got to raise the bar. It sounds cliche, 
but you and and I will uh, you know people bash millennials and bash younger generation, but this is a this is a reality. And you know, twenty years ago, you went into a restaurant and you ordered a cup of coffee, and the degree you could customize it was cream or sugar, and it was just you just got a coffee, or you went to a Mexican restaurant and you just got a taco. Today, with mm. Starbucks, every order is customized. Today, with Chipotle, every order is customized. So the expectation mm. is I'm being treated to a personal order with every interaction I get in the retail space. For all of you out there that own a business or work in a business, that's the mindset of your buyer. So hitting the bar or one-size-fits-all doesn't work anymore. If I, mm. if I go to a restaurant and I ask the employees, I said, what's, what's your definition of keeping a customer happy? And they said, the food's on time. And it's hot, and we got the order right, and that should give us, you know, on a scale of one to five, that should be a five. I would say, no, that's a three. <laughs> You've met the expectation. Mm-hmm. The very minimum mm-hmm. I expect when I go to a restaurant is my order's out in a timely manner, the food is warm, and it's correct. If I got, you know, coleslaw instead of French fries or it takes too long, now you're a two. You know, you that scale slides. But if it comes back really fast, if the portions are really big, if, it's, if it tastes delicious, if it's still crackling because it's so warm – like those are the things that get you a four and a five. So I would say mm. in your business, if you say, if you're a website design company and you say, we're giving ourselves five out of five on this project because it was on time, it was on budget, and it had all the features the client wanted and they all worked. That's not a five, that's a three. <laughs> a five is mm. we delivered it two weeks early because they had a really important trade show come up. A five is the mm. content was so good and Google loved it so much that their search volume increased by 40% the first month after launch. A five is, you know, the CEO went down to the CMO and said, I love this website. It's mobile responsive. It's, it's generating more orders, more leads, more sales, more donations. That's a five. So don't hitting your project plan only gets you a three. You got to hit a five because your competitors are out there trying to hit fives every day and they're hitting them a lot of time. So, so raise that bar. Well, Bill, if, if people want to find out more about you and your company, where, where would they go to? Sure. They can visit us at futurity.com. So that is F-U-T-U-R-E-T-Y.com. Uh, horse people mm-hmm. spell with an I sometimes. So it's Futurity is in the word future with a T-Y at the end. Um, we're all mm-hmm. over social media. Uh, we have webinars. We have in-person events for those of you that want to come visit us in Columbus. Um, so yeah, start at the website. Learn all about us. Fantastic. Well, Bill, I really appreciate all the information you shared with us today. It's been um, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I've, I've greatly enjoyed this. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks. Next week's episode is forty eight, and it's with Rob and Kennedy, and they are a duo who wanted to stage comedian and mind reader. The others are a comedy hypnotist, and together. They've, they've uh, formed a powerful marketing strategy and they've also come up with uh, something called Response Suite that really helps people with, um, with a number of different things. And so we're going to find out a lot more about that. It's all related around marketing and how to make marketing much easier, much simpler. So we're going to find out more from Rob and Kennedy in next week's show. Hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Please do leave a review for us. Uh, recommend guests join a facebook group uh, which is obviously called exceeding expectations and hope you have a fantastic week see you next week